So much of leadership development, personal growth, or really getting better at anything is about starting. My guest on this episode is 102 years old, and she knows a lot about the importance of movement and where to begin. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 631. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. The word that I know many of our Academy members hear me say all the time, and probably some people are tired of hearing me say, is the word movement. I'm always inviting our members to get moving on trying new things, on moving in their professional development, their leadership, and also in their lives. Today, a conversation about movement, how to get moving, and coming from the perspective of someone who knows movement so well. I'm so pleased to introduce to you Gladys McGarry. She is 102 years old and a still-practicing doctor. Recognized as a pioneer of the allopathic and holistic medical movements, she is also a founding diplomat of the American Board of Holistic Medicine. She is the co-founder and past president of the American Holistic Medical Association, as well as the co-founder of the Academy of Parapsychology and Medicine, and the founder of the International Academy of Clinical Hypnosis. Gladys lives and works in Scottsdale, Arizona, where for many years she shared a medical practice with her daughter. She currently has a medical consulting practice, maintains a healthy diet, and enjoys a good piece of cake every now and then. She has spoken at TEDx and is the author of The Well-Lived Life, 102-Year-Old Doctor's Six Secrets to Health and Happiness at any age. Gladys, what a pleasure to be with you today. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I would love to start this conversation in the desert. You have lived in Arizona for many, many years. You are near the Sonoran Desert. I am not far from the Mojave Desert. And when you look at the desert, what you see visually at first glance is not always what's there. And you write in the book, many people who come here for the first time, and quite a few who will never come here in their whole life, think of this as a still stagnant dead place. Boy, are they ever wrong. It is not still or stagnant, is it? No. You step your foot onto the desert floor, and there's something going on under your foot and all around you. So it depends on what you're looking for. If you're not looking for life in the desert, you don't see it. It's not there. But if you're looking for life in the desert, it might just jump, jump at you. A lizard might run across your foot. And I think about like that perspective of seeing what you're looking for. And you write in the book, recognizing the power of movement can get us through almost anything. It's a sacred truth that helps us in our hardest moments. And it starts with realizing that stuckness itself is an illusion. What's the illusion? The illusion is that something is either so bad or so unacceptable that we're not going to even try to work through whatever it is. And I don't think that the whole statement that we hear often is that, well, if you've got a problem, just get over it. 
You don't just get over stuff. You have to live through it. If you don't live through it, you haven't really gotten where you need to go in the process of life. It's the next step. And the next step is living through it and shifting attention from what's wrong with something to the aspect of what's right with it. In other words, it's sort of like you're walking down a path and you've got a flashlight in your hand, but you're shining the flashlight over your back or your shoulder, trying to make sure that nothing's following you instead of keeping it on the path in front of you for the next step and the next step and the next step. And when you once get into the movement of that, you move out of and into life again, out of the stuck place into life again. And if I continue that analogy, depending on the power of the flashlight you have and the environment you're in, you might only be able to see a few feet in front of you. And, and so this isn't so much about speed. It's about starting, isn't it? Absolutely. It's about life. Because if you look at life, unless it's a tornado or something, most of life goes very slowly. It, you watch a child grow you don't know that they've grown until you try to put them in clothes that they've outgrown. It's it's and court. It's sort of that with ourselves. We a lot of times we don't know that we've made progress and that we've grown until we try to fit into something that stretches us out of where we're stuck. And that's what I, that's I think that's why we're interrelated too. That's why sometimes it's another person's job and responsibility and privilege to help their friend see something that they haven't been able to see. You know, we've got flashlights too. And sometimes the flashlight of the, of the person is stuck in one spot. But as we bring our flashlight to that, we can help us both see further. And life moves on. Mm. There's almost always somewhere to start, isn't there? And when our members are working on leadership development, one of the things I find myself doing is asking people to do less than they normally would expect, of rather than taking making a big heavy lift of just starting with something small, but actually moving consistently. And often the things end up being so small that they sometimes to at first glance they seem almost ridiculous like rather than worrying about getting better at delegation to write down once a day on a piece of paper where's an opportunity to delegate or to take one moment a day to ask a second question and it's interesting like even though it seems really small and insignificant by just starting to move and by creating momentum, that the overall distance that we go is then more substantial over time. And I, I sense a bit of that in your work as well, too, that it's not we're trying to do everything in one moment or in one conversation, but it's 
It's the starting. It's creating the momentum that helps us to move. It, it's important to really get someplace along the line. There is something that has gotten us stuck, and and we just don't know what to do about it. And so it could be that we get a sudden realization, or we have a dream, or somebody says something and shines the light on the problem. But someplace along the line, we get a glimmer of light on it, and then later on a little bit more and a little bit more. It's like when I started school, life got really hard for me because I didn't know what was wrong. But I'm I'm still to this point severely dyslexic. Mm. When I started trying to read, nothing made any sense. The 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 words went all over the page. I couldn't add. I couldn't subtract. So for so I flunked first grade and had to repeat that. And I was a class dummy and all of that. It was it was a very hard to two years in school. And it wasn't until I was 93 that I reclaimed my voice because I didn't think at this core level of myself, I didn't think, really think, that the words that I was writing and the things I was talking about and all of that, I really didn't think that they were worth anything. I was 93. When I woke up one morning and realized that in 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 doubting what I was saying to myself, I was negating what I was saying to others. And I didn't know why this was. I know now it's what, what you call some kind of a deep-seated scar hmm. that you don't even recognize because it hurts so bad yeah. that you don't really recognize it. But the way I uh, that happened is because through the years, I learned to pay attention to my dreams. My dreams have been very important in guiding me to, to be able to work with what the things that I needed to do. So this one night, one morning, I woke up with, I was singing and laughing at the same time. And you know how in a dream you can you can be in the dream and still waking up. And it was in that yeah. in between stage. I saw myself as nine year old Gladys out in the jungles of North India, and I was peeking out the tent door, making sure that my younger brother wasn't out there because if he was, he was going he would tattle on me because I knew I was going to do something I was going to be in trouble for. And that was that on Sunday mornings, we weren't allowed to sing anything except if it was a hymn or an Indian pudgeon. Well, I thought as a nine-year-old that that was stupid, and I wanted to <laughs> sing anything I wanted to sing. So nobody was around to see me. And quick as a flash, I ran up the mango tree as fast as I could, and I was sitting up in the top of the tree, and I was singing. I mean, I was singing the caterpillar song and i was singing any old thing that came into my head but every so often i got to thinking oh well i don't know and i looked over my right shoulder and there in the tree jesus was sitting up there with me 
And I looked at him and I said, Jesus loves the little children, doesn't he? And he's laughing. And he says, yes. And so I go back to my singing, but then I get start doubting again. And I look over my shoulder and I say, I'm still a little children, right? And he says, <laughs> yes. And so I go back to my singing. And that's when I woke up with the realization that all these years I had a voice and the voice needed to be heard. And I'd better stop this foolishness of thinking that my voice couldn't be heard. And it changed things. And that's why this book came about, because this book is the essence of what it is that all these years I've been trying to say. There's a chapter in the book that's titled, Look for the Trickle Around the Dam. And I think about the story you just shared about your dream, and in a way, a trickle. I think most of us would have a dream and we wouldn't maybe think much about it. Tell me about the process of looking for a trickle and what's important about it. Well, if you're not looking for something, I chose the trickle because it's constantly moving, even if it looks like it's not. Mm. And that's a tricky thing. If life is moving, which it is always, if it's still alive, if it's still moving and you're part of it, then where is it? Where, where, where can I see that? You know, what attracts me and calls me to it? And the, the thought of how that trickle of water looks like it's not doing anything. But you look at and you know that it is. You know what it's doing in spite of the fact that it doesn't look like it or it doesn't feel like it. It's, it's the reality of knowing something that at that point in time seems like it's not moving, but in reality it is. And when you do that, you can see how that, that movement carries on downstream, how the, the rest of the, of the river wouldn't be able to do anything if that trickle wasn't going on. It's the starting point, isn't it? That's right. When you're stuck, you're stuck. And if you don't know how to get started again, it's very difficult. Fortunately, life frequently steps in and gets us going again. But if we're not looking for it, sometimes it doesn't. And we remain stuck. How do you find the trickle? Looking for it, knowing that it's there, knowing something like a trickle is available to all of us all the time. It's not just there sometimes, it's there all the time. And so if we're looking for it, we find it. If we're not looking for it, we just, it just, you just don't find it unless you have a good friend and shows it to you. <laughs> and at that point, you're ready to listen to what the good friend has to say, or you have a dream that shows it to you, and you have this, you've been paying attention to your dreams, and that shows you what you've been looking for. But unless you're looking for the light, you're in the darkness, and you're like constantly looking back over your shoulder to what goes wrong or what has gone wrong. Or what do you think isn't there? You know, as you were saying that about a friend showing it to you, I was thinking, 
just an hour ago, I was talking to my friend Scott. We talk almost every morning of the work week, and we get on the line and we talk about what we'll do today. And we usually identify two or three things for each of us. And then the next day, we talk about what yesterday was like and then what we're going to do today. And we both said this morning, well, I got halfway done with one of the things I said I was going to do yesterday. And Scott said, it's interesting how when I finish something, I feel great about it. But when I only get halfway, even when it's something that was really important and really good work, I feel less fulfilled. And he said, I'd love to get to the point where I just begin something that's really important and I feel just as fulfilled as when I finish it. And I think about that in the context of what you just said, Gladys, that so often, at least for me, I think about movement and progress as the dam coming down, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the thing that's most apparent. And I don't think about it as in searching for and maybe finding the trickle. And yet, that's really the place that we should be, isn't it? Yes, because that takes time. And it's like, I have a 10-year plan yet. And the 10-year plan is to create a village for living medicine, where mm. life and love are the center of that of the movement and action in that village. And this is a dream I've had for, I can't tell you how many years. <laughs> And and how many times I've thought, oh, we're here. This is what's going to work. And my kids have called them. Those are my almosts. I've I've almost gotten it, and and then something happens. Hmm. And then then you go on and you say, okay, well that that didn't work. Okay, almost, and you work and you work and you do years of work, but I'm still in the process. Yeah, indeed. And I'm wondering, as you mentioned, this is like this is a struggle like that that is a challenge for all of us. You've clearly found something that works to continually come back to finding the trickle, to starting the movement. What have you found for yourself that helps you to put your attention on the trickle, on the movement, and not get too caught up in the the big the, the big outcome? the joy of what has actually been done. Even if we didn't accomplish the whole scope of what my vision is, we got things done, like the American Holistic Medical Association. When when we started working on that, it was because a group of us realized that medicine, conventional medicine, was working and knew a lot about the body and a lot and was learning a lot about the mind but it hadn't paid any attention to to the life force and the spirit mm. of what it was that we were working with and that 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 whole essence of what we were trying to do with healing was essential to the actual healing and so the group of us started the American Holistic Medical Association and that was about the time that my eldest son, who was a was just ready to start his practice in orthopedics in Del Rio, Texas, 
came through Phoenix and he said to me, Mom, I'm I'm real scared. I'm going into the world. I'm going to have people's lives in my hands. I don't know if I can handle that. And I said, well, Carl, if you think you're the one that does the healing, you have a right to be scared. But if you can understand that it's your job to do this amazing work that you've been taught to do to the best of your ability, and then support the physician within that patient to do their own healing. Because until that patient takes the responsibility for healing their own process, you really do have something to be afraid of. But if you can actually turn that over and lovingly support that patient's physician within them, because that that's the person now who has become your colleague. Now, now you can support that patient with the, their healing process as they do their own healing, because none of us as physicians really heal another patient, another person. But we sure do our own job. And we, when we do it well and do it lovingly and understand our job moves, moving with the life of that patient as they're looking for it, we can support them and they do their healing. Yeah, it's it's so much about the start and not the finish. The physician comes as, comes aside as a partner, as a catalyst to help begin, and that's that's so key is the start, the movement. Right. And as I think about that, I was really struck by a passage you wrote at the end of the book, and you say, "I'm pleased to tell you that the most recent few years of my life have been absolutely marvelous." My family has grown, I've come to learn more about myself, and I'm not finished yet. In fact, I wake up with the same prayer I have every morning. Okay, what are we going to learn today? And I read that and I thought, well, it's so interesting because, of course, we're all learning and growing. And a similar question for you, Gladys, what's something that you've changed your mind on? Oh, there are a lot of things I've changed my mind on. When I started in the practice of medicine, I was helping mothers birth their babies with using what was called twilight sleep, which made them totally unconscious so that they could not begin to push their babies out. And I was really good at using forceps. I was trained to use forceps. I could could help a mother with an after-coming head. And we were doing the best we knew how. So in the process of watching how medicine has changed, it has been things that I have done, which I at this point consider uh, almost barbaric. But at that time, it was what I learned, and it's what I taught, and it's what I did. And that process brought me to the point where in the mid-70s, I created the Baby Buggy Program, where we had a baby buggy that was a huge van that took equipment and so on to the home of a person who was birthing her baby at home. And so that I could work with midwives or I could work with the the patient themselves, but we were birthing babies. And think about what we say all the time about birth. And in fact, I say this so much that it's hard for me not to say it. I've delivered 
thousands of babies. Well, that's silly. We deliver speeches. We deliver pizza. We don't deliver babies. <laughs> we help mothers birth their babies. Mm. And when we don't recognize that, then, you know, what are we doing? We've taken the power away from a woman. We, we, we women don't even know that we're the ones that birth the babies. And I'm really, when I'm talking, I frequently still say, well, when, when I delivered, da, 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 well, I didn't deliver that baby. That mother birthed that baby. And I think it's in all of my 102 years, there's things like that that I've learned where life has continued. I've done the best I could at that time. I'm not, I'm not a big sitter because I did these things, but it's, it's the reality that if we're looking for life to move, it'll move with and within us so that what we do can be done the best as, as it can be done at that time. Gladys McGarry is the author of The Well-Lived Life, 102-Year-Old Doctor's Six Secrets to Health and Happiness at Any Age. Gladys, thank you so much for your leadership and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 232, How to Tame Your Inner Critic. Tara Moore was my guest on that episode. We talked about one of the things that tends to get us all stuck and prevents us from movement, which is that voice inside our heads that doesn't ever seem to want us to move forward. We talked in that conversation about how to make peace with that inner critic, how to talk with the inner critic and how to move forward in spite of it. Episode 232 for that. Also recommended is episode 488, Leadership Means You Go First. Keith Ferrazzi was my guest on that episode. Keith and I talked about the reality that if you're in the leadership role, folks are going to be looking to you to take the first step to be the person that's the catalyst for that movement. You heard that echoed in the conversation with Gladys today of the physician being the person who's the catalyst to start the healing, ultimately up to the patient, of course. But it begins with that first step, episode 488, a good inspiration for all of us. And then finally, I recommend episode 562, How to Make Progress When Starting Something New. Michael Bungay-Stanier was my guest on that episode, author of The Coaching Habit and his more recent book, How to Begin. We talked about what's the best way to make progress. How do you start? Once you start, what do you need to do in order to change direction as you go? A great compliment to this conversation, episode 562 for that. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you have not done it before, I'm inviting you to take it today rather to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. When you do, it's going to give you access to the entire library of benefits inside of the website, including the ability to search for every past episode by topic. We've had many episodes over the years on personal leadership, the topic of this conversation today, because leadership is not about us, but it does start with us taking the first step. As I mentioned a moment ago, you can track down all of the past episodes we've had on personal leadership, plus any topic that's top of mind for you right now. 
inside your organization, where you're thinking right now, how you're supporting others, utilize the episode library. It is one of many benefits inside of the free membership. And if you've been inside the free membership and utilizing it for a bit, you may be looking for a bit more. Check out Coaching for Leaders Plus. It is the next step on how to really move forward with a little bit more acceleration and direction to support you. One of the ways I support you in Coaching for Leaders Plus is giving you access to recordings of our monthly expert chat events. I invite a guest expert to chat with a number of our members live every month. We do a Q&A. We talk about their work and we talk about it in the context of what's happening for our members and listeners right now. And we share those recordings each month with our Coaching for Leaders Plus members, plus access to all the past recordings from the last several years. All of that included with Coaching for Leaders Plus. If you'd like to find out more, just go to coachingforleaders.plus. Next Monday, I'm glad to welcome Seth Godin back to the show. He's going to be returning to the podcast to discuss moving towards meetings of significance. Join me for that conversation with Seth, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care.